Well, good morning. As you uh, gather with us this morning, either you are here for our teaching uh, entitled Amazed, or you may be here early looking for some silence. If you are here and you're looking to pray in silence, we encourage you to maybe just use our Adoration Chapel. Uh, However, uh, during the summers, we're having a teaching before Mass, and that is entitled Amazed. It's part of the a year of Eucharistic revival that our country is engaged in. And uh, hopefully, as you walked in, you grab one of the bulletins. Uh, if you don't have a bulletin, maybe you want to grab one of those right now. Uh, as we gather together, if you want to join me on page two, we'll take a look at the notes together now. Page two, as we look at the notes together. Page two. As you can see in the, uh, the teaching, we are in week four of our teaching uh, as we talk about the Eucharist. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the Passover meal as it has developed over time. And that'll make a lot more sense as we kind of get into the teaching as you're able to see uh, the way that the Mass itself is rooted in the Passover experience. If you flip on over with me to page 3, let's go ahead and uh, actually look at uh, a review of where we have been together. Page 3 in the bulletin. Uh, just to quickly kind of recap where we've been. Again, all these teachings are on our website, OurLadyOfTheIsle.com. If you have not yet had a chance to listen to weeks one through three, you may want to do that because things will make a lot more sense for you as uh, you listen to those. But I can, re- I can walk you through what we have talked about thus far. Um, number 47, who determines how we worship God? God does, and God determines sacrifice, number 48, as the way that we worship Him. What's needed for sacrifice? Well, there are four things, right? There's an offering or victim. That's the thing you're offering in sacrifice. So again, at Mass, as you hear the word sacrifice, as you hear the word offering, as you hear the word victim, always think of worship uh, because sacrifice and worship go hand in hand in the Old Testament as well as the New. You need someone to offer the sacrifice. We'll get into a lot more about that today. You need an altar, again today, and you need to consume the sacrifice. Uh, The Passover experience we talked about last week, it was connected to a meal. They ate a meal the night that they left Egypt because they had to consume the, the lamb that they offered in sacrifice. And the sacrifice is not complete unless you consume it. So they ate this meal, and the meal was connected to the sacrifice, and they ate this meal every year. So 365 days after the original Passover, they ate the Passover meal. And as you see right there in number 52, it served as memorial. Memorial, not merely memory, makes present in the present moment the event that happened in the past. And so as they ate the meal, it was as if they were leaving Egypt all over again, right? It made present in that present moment the event of Passover that happened in the past. Now, let's take a look at number 53 on page 3. The Passover, it developed over time. 1,800 years later, Jesus is born, but in those 1,800 years, the Passover meal, it developed over time. That would make sense to us, right? The Mass has developed. After Jesus ascended to heaven, the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, began to worship God. They began to celebrate Mass. But people were celebrating Mass differently or reading different parts of the Mass differently. And so the church brought some order and structure to it. And the same thing happened with the Passover. Number 53, two things happened in the Passover that are important for us to understand the Passover. Number one, the Passover meal was specifically organized around four cups of wine. And then it was the blessing of bread and wine was a constitutive part of the Passover. 
So the Passover begins to develop with bread and wine taking center stage and four cups of wine taking center stage. Those cups of wine, number 54, let's look at those uh, uh, preliminarily today and then we'll get into them much more depth next week. The first cup, uh, you drank the cup and it set apart the meal. Remember that the word holy means to consecrate. And to consecrate means to separate, right? So something that's consecrated is separated from the ordinary. So when they drank the meal, they were signaling to everybody that this meal is separate from all the other meals. And that was signified in this cup of wine. The second cup is the cup of proclamation. They would read, they would tell, they would recite the the Passover story, right? Because uh, it's making present in the present moment, the Passover experience. The third cup, right, was at the conclusion of the story. Uh, It was... um, Uh, the exclamation point of how God would save his people, right? And this is the cup that Jesus took at the Last Supper, this third cup. That will make much more sense next week. We'll get into that in great detail. And then finally, the cup of praise, the Hallel cup, that was the cup that you drank um, as the consummation of the experience. All right, look at the next page, page four. Let's take a look at the Passover script And we'll take a look at some words of the Mass. So, as the Passover meal developed, number 55, right, uh, bread and wine became important parts of the Passover meal. And the the leader of the Passover, he would take the bread, 55.1, and he would say, Blessed are you, Lord God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Right, This, this introductory rhythm, blessed are you, Lord God. He would take 55.2, the wine, and say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates fruit of the vine. Now, let's take a look at the words of Mass and see if you can now see some parallels. Uh, Now, on Sundays here, we we sing a song, or there's a song that's being played during the collection, and this is when I am saying these words. But if you've ever been to daily Mass, you'll recognize that we actually recite these words, right? Right? So at Mass, the priest stands behind the altar, 55.3, and says, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of all creation, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth, work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. And then, of course, we all say, Blessed be God forever. Now, look at the script of 55.3, and look at the words of 55.1. Why do we say what we say at Mass? Because we are rooted in our Jewish tradition. Those are the Jewish words of Passover. Look at 55.4. Right? I take the, the, the sacred chalice, and I say, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Look at 55.4, and now compare it to 55.2. Right? you see that the words of the Mass are rooted in the ancient Jewish words of the Passover. We're on page four as we're in the teaching today. All right, now, if you look at number 56, the Passover developed, and this is how it developed. Um, David, uh, King David, had a son. His name is Solomon. Solomon built the great temple. And when Solomon built the temple, the temple became the place for worship. That's why they built the temple. They wanted a place to worship God together as a family. 
And if you worshiped God, you offered sacrifice. That's what you did in the Old Testament. So the temple, the great temple, was designed around the offering of sacrifice. And when they established the temple, when they built the temple, that meant that the Passover sacrifice was moved to the temple. So when Jesus was 12 and he was lost in the temple, why was Jesus in the temple? Because four times a year, every one of God's chosen people, unless they couldn't, were required by law to go to Jerusalem to the temple so that they could participate as one family in this great offering of sacrifice to God. And so the Passover lambs, when the temple was built, had to be sacrificed in the temple. This is a significant thing that's shifting here that's going to get us ready for the actual mass itself. 56.3 on page 4. At the time of Jesus, the lambs had to be sacrificed in the temple and eaten in the city of Jerusalem. At the time of Jesus, there would have been 75,000 people living in Jerusalem. Uh, When everybody showed up for these feasts, there would have been one and a quarter million people in the temple there. Come on in. We're having a little teaching uh, on the Eucharist before Mass. Now, when they move it to the temple, remembering you need four things for sacrifice, right? You need something to offer. That was the lamb. You need somewhere to offer it on. That's the altar now in the temple. You need to consume the sacrifice. That's the lamb. And who's going to offer the sacrifice? In the temple, that would have been the Levitical priesthood. So what happens is, as the Passover moves to the temple, what emerges in the Passover is the Old Testament priesthood. And now the priesthood has, has, um, has, 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 has been, become a part of this Passover experience. That's important for us because as we see the roots of the Mass in the Passover, Jesus is not only the new Lamb of the new Passover, but He's also the priest, right? He's not only... Uh, the one being offered, but he is doing the offering, right? So the, the priesthood is central to the new Passover, and, and that, uh, that is foreshadowed as the temple becomes a place of worship, and the, um, the priesthood becomes connected to that. Now, here's what's going to happen. When, when all, you, all of people go to Jerusalem, uh, they all have to get a lamb, right? So they get their lamb in Jerusalem, or, and, uh, or they bring it with them, and then they have to go to the temple, Now remember, there's 1.25 million people in Jerusalem, and they have to offer the sacrifice of the lamb in the temple, right? That's a lot of lambs. That's over 200,000 lambs in a short window before the Passover that need to be sacrificed. The entire architecture of the temple was built around sacrifice. There was a massive altar in the temple, and underneath the altar there were drains, And as the blood would pour forth off the altar, it would drain into the drains. On the outer parts of the temple, there were these massive cauldrons of boiling water. They would take that water and they would splash it with the blood so it wouldn't coagulate. And it would drain out of the temple into the street. Down the streets and it would come outside the side of the mountain. And what would flow out of the side of the mountain is blood and water foreshadowing, there was a moment 
when blood and water flowed out of his side on the side of the mountain, right? As the new lamb. Now, when you went to the temple to offer the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, um, you, they had to move people along, so things were very organized. And not everybody could get to the altar. You can't put 200,000 people around a common altar. So what you would do is you would build almost an extension to the altar. And they called the extension to the altar an altar rail. So in the old churches, or in some churches now, you have the altar rail. Why do you have an altar rail? Because it's an extension of the altar. It's not 2,000 years old. It's not as old as the Catholic Church. It's as old as the temple. And you would come in in groups of 30, right? So we know that Jesus sends Peter and John to the temple to prepare the lamb. So you could do one person, but usually two people would be there. So one person's holding the lamb, and the other person is holding a knife. And, and they get in the groups of 30, right? So they're in line. They're outside this door over there. They're in lines of 30. And they would all come in, and they would, uh, they would sit. They would all kneel around the altar rail. You would bring in your Passover lamb. The father usually is the one who, and I say this with adult ears because I know we have some young ears here. Uh, he would execute the lamb with one clean cut. Uh, the other person was holding the lamb, and they were holding the lamb's neck on the altar rail. And that blood was pouring all over that altar rail. And the priest was behind, and he had a chalice. And the priest would come, and he would catch the blood of the lamb in a chalice. And then they would, they would pass that chalice to another priest who would pass that palace to another priest who would pass that chalice to another priest. And the high priest was at the altar and he was pouring the blood of the lamb on the altar. Again, we, 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 we have some things in the Catholic Church that don't make sense to us. That's usually because they're Jewish. They're things like an altar rail. Now, you had to consume the lamb. Because you offered this thing in sacrifice, it's now holy, it's sacred, you have to consume the lamb. In Exodus 12, God says, do not boil the lamb, I want you to roast the lamb. Why roast instead of boil? Well, there's lots of different stories out there. Some people believe that the Egyptians, as they offered sacrifice to lambs, they would have boiled them. Maybe God wanted something distinct. But what we know is that in Exodus 12, God says, I want you to eat the lamb, and I want you to roast the lamb. Now... Many of you who are familiar with uh, uh, preparing meat, you, 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 how did they roast the lamb? Well, what you would do is you would take your lamb after you were in the, uh, the temple sacrifice area to, to a priest. He would skin the lamb, he would remove the organs, and then he would, he would prepare your lamb for your to consume it. This is what he would do. He would take a, 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 a stave and he would run it from the top of the head all the way to the bottom of its feet. And he would tie its feet to the bottom of the stage. Then he would take the arms of the lamb and he would open them up and he would take another stage and he would run it uh, left to right horizontally and he would open up the chest cavity and he would open up the arms of the lamb. So when you went to the temple with the Passover lamb, you would receive back from the priesthood a lamb in cruciform style. So let's imagine that John and Peter on that Passover day are walking from Jesus and they get to the temple with their lamb and they're at their altar rail and they see all the blood of the lamb and John is there looking at the blood of the lamb dripping there. 
and is remembering the words of John the Baptist who looked at Jesus the first time that John and Peter ever saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And as Peter is, is, John is coming home, he's going to go see Jesus. He's got this lamb that they're going to eat at the Passover meal. John is holding a little bitty crucified lamb. And just imagine the next day that that same John who on one day held a crucified lamb, the next day is at the cross and he's looking at a crucified lamb. And he's watching the blood of that lamb just imagine what would have been in John's imagination in that moment. As a Passover uh, meal developed, two additional things that developed there. Uh, number one, it was uh, always seen as memorial. Again, memorial makes present in the present moment something that happened in the past. It's happening all over again now in memorial. And finally, it was connected to the anticipation to the Messiah. That as the Passover meal developed, they began to anticipate that it would bring forth one day the Messiah. In conclusion, what we see as the Passover meal develops, the roots of the mass are now coming into some, some, some completion here. Next week, when we gather before Mass, we're going to now take the Passover and look at Holy Thursday and Good Friday through the Passover experience. Jesus changes the script to the meal. And only God could change the script. Jesus then on the cross says something very interesting as He says, I thirst. We'll unpack what that means next week when we get together. Again, all of these teachings are on our website, OurLadyOfTheIsle.com. Right now, believe it or not, we have more people listening to the amazed teachings than we do listen to the homilies. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited to see what God is doing as you're listening to the teachings. But let's take a couple seconds now just in silence as we get ready for Mass. And uh, in just a few seconds, George will lead us in our intro. I'll come back with a few introductory comments, and then we will begin Mass.